Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Weekly Watch. I'm your host, John Briggs. This week, we have a bit of a special episode because given all the central banks meetings this week and all the moving parts across macro rates and FX, we're doing a bit of a crossover with my normal Weekly Watch podcast and our rates-driven bondcast. So I'm going to welcome today Paul Robson, co-head of G10FX Strategy, and John Navruzzi, our U.S. rate strategist, to help us sort it all out. Let's start in the U.S., where the Fed hiked by 75 basis points, but significantly revised up their future rate hike projections. John, what's the main takeaways or surprises that came out of the Fed meeting this week? Yeah, well, going to the meeting, we weren't even sure how they were going to, the Fed was going to be able to come above expectations as everyone was ready for a very hawkish delivery following the, you know, the acceleration and in inflation that we saw over the last month. So uh, they managed, the Fed managed to do that. And mainly that came through their quarterly projections where uh, the board presents what they expect uh, for interest rates to, for the Fed funds to be for the next uh, four years in this case. Uh, and those expectations were well above most uh, kind of most economists views, including ours. Uh, for by the end of this year, the median forecast was called a dot plot. Uh, the median uh, point went to 4.375, which implies another 125 basis point of hikes following this last 75 basis point hike. So uh, that puts the base case for November back to 75 and December for 50. That is also what we have in uh, for our expectations. And uh, looking ahead for 2023, the dot plot showed 4.625%, again, much higher than what uh, most had penciled in. Uh, you know, and perhaps even more remarkably, uh, in, into the later years, like 2024, 2025, uh, the projections do show cut in interest rates, but not nearly as much as uh, what was expected by analysts. Uh, just for context, for 2024, they see only about 80 base points of cuts going back to 3.8%, not much not much further than that. Uh, and you know that's going to be a, an interesting thing to look out for because data could slow down, growth data could slow down with uh, this excess levels of tightening uh, while uh, you know it will become like kind of like a game of who, what gives in first, does the Fed back out and decide to cut or uh, they manage to kind of hold through as that weakens and try to fight inflation. Our in-house forecast is that uh, they will be able to hold rates uh, steady for next year. We actually expect the Fed to reach 5% terminal rate. So couple more hikes early into next year after uh, getting to where they are. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll see how it develops, but certainly a much more hawkish delivery than uh, what was expected by most and markets reacted accordingly. Yeah. And my first reaction to what you just laid out, which is growth slowing 5% fed, but not changing from 5% all next year, despite growth slowing, it's a very different reaction function to the last few cycles where you know, the fed has reacted to slower growth. Um, and kind of reinforces some of my concern about risk assets. So, um, John, more specifically, when it comes to our expectations for U.S. rates, do you think we're close to the end, the adjustment higher in yields? Um, Two-year yields now over 4%. They're at their highest level since 2007. Uh, you know, 10-year yields are closer to 375 than not. So do you think we're close to the end? We have a lot further to go, or what are your thoughts on, on the rate structure? I don't think we have a lot further to go, but yeah, these could be the, the famous last words before uh, rates kind of find another leg higher. But yeah, like you said, we're pretty close to our forecasts. Uh, at some point, 
it's going to become harder and harder to add the incremental tightening onto the curve, uh, especially as data starts slowing. So it will become challenging for the Fed to uh, persuade the markets that they're going to indeed do more. They go to five, six, seven, whatever. You know, it just becomes uh, significantly harder with each step. So we do think that we are reaching those levels. Uh, we still think the curve will perhaps marginally flatten a little bit more, but you know, the risks are for the Fed to do more, agreed. But uh, seeing seeing rates going much higher from here is not something I would chase. We're actually looking more to get into these uh, steepeners that might come early next year. But the timing for that still doesn't seem right. Like we, like we talked, you know, it's it's still too early for the Fed, the Fed to back out uh, while risks remain for higher rates in the front end. But as far as overall levels go, uh, I think it's going to be a struggle to push much further higher from here. Okay, thanks. Let's switch gears to the UK. Um, Paul, we just had the Bank of England meeting. Really just we're recording this on the heels of it. So as usual, I'm doing the unfair questions. So not giving you much time to, to react even to the meetings. But um, in my weekend piece, I wrote that it's hard to see a particularly positive outlook for the UK in the near term. You know, so I'm, I will say is when it comes to the meetings, some of the markets were looking for 75. Uh, we only got 50. Does that mean the bank may not go as high as feared or does it, just mean the tightening cycle is going to be a little more drawn out? Well, we think the decision to just go 50 when markets were almost pricing 75 is important to the, the outlook. If the bank had gone 75 uh, today, then I think it would have gone a long way to validating market expectations where we could get a peak in interest rates of um, 4.5%. The, the fact that they only went 50, I think, just keeps the jury out about the ultimate endpoint to, to tightening. But it's, um, you know, given inflation pressures um, in UK economy, then it, it still remains relatively uncertain. I mean, I think the, the key takeaway for me personally from the Bank of England was it, it had a feel about, let's all just come back in November and see where we are. And then we can make a decision about whether uh, we need to guide markets to a higher terminal rate or, or something a little bit uh, lower. Uh, by then, the Bank of England staff would have had time to fully assess the, the mini budget that we'll get uh, tomorrow and also fully incorporate uh, the government's um, cap on energy prices. Now, personally, I, I don't think you have to overthink it. You've got 200 billion potentially of additional stimulus into the UK economy that feels inflationary over the medium term. But optically, it was always going to be a little bit uh, poor if the Bank of England had gone 75 today, uh, the day ahead of a mini budget from the, the government. So I think today we, we're just left with, as you are really, maybe on balance, um, but maybe a little bit more tightening than we previously had expected. But I don't think there's any reason for the market to really change their, their pricing at this point. Yeah, and it's interesting. You are seeing yields moving higher. I mean, as I'm, as we're recording this, 10-year gilt yields are 16 basis points higher. Um, that's even before we've gotten the mini budget. We're recording this before the mini budget comes out. But, you know, and, and putting my rates hat on for a second, you know, we do see 10-year gilts going to 4%, but that's as much driven by massive gilt issuance that we're expecting, you know, nearly triple next year than it was this year. Um, We'll see how the budget impacts that. But I wonder if in a little bit there, the market's saying, oh, well, you only went 50 this time. That means you have to do more later. But as you said, I guess we'll put a pin in that until, until the November meeting. So um, 
let's turn to sterling now. Now, the meeting didn't really have a major impact on the currency, but bigger picture, you know, it's, it's had some significant declines. And importantly, both against the dollar and the euro. Do you think, you know, parity in either one of those crosses or further declines are in our future? Well, I think it's still your risk case rather than your central case. The, the outlook for uh, sterling is still very challenging given the, the policy outlook, the the slowing of the economy, but still persistent uh, inflation pressures against the backdrop of having to fund a large and persistent uh, current account deficit. The reason that I don't think it's your, your base case at the moment is that you have, to, you have to remember that the dollar is at decade highs, multi-decade highs. The uh, challenges for the euro area are probably just as great as they are uh, for the UK. So that doesn't in itself really suggest that, say, euro sterling is going to go significantly higher. But you're exactly right to reference uh, the fact that euro sterling has been moving higher, which has made it sound and feel a bit more of a sterling uh, story. Uh, in terms of the, the outlook, it, it really just comes down to funding a large and persistent current account deficit when growth is weak. Now, if you think about the government's um, policy to cap energy prices and that massive fiscal stimulus, I mean, we're talking you know, six, seven percent of GDP over the next couple of years. That's uh, awfully a large amount of money to be pumping into the, the system. Um, at one end, it means that forecasting a recession in the UK is going to be really quite hard. And that for, therefore it might attract a little bit more capital inflow into the UK. But where is that money going to uh, go? But, you know, a large proportion of it will go on imports, which makes the trade deficit even worse. So um, until you get some signs of uh, stability in energy prices, maybe the economy uh, starting to um, recover or expectations of that. I, I think that sterling continues to go weaker. So um, lower uh, cable, for example, and probably upside pressure for uh, US sterling as well. All right, before I sign off, one more for you, Paul. I mean, you did mention the dollar has been on quite the run, multi-decade highs, year highs. The, the, and and you know, we had a bit of a pause there after uh, a surge this year in August, but we're seeing renewed rallies. I mean, just from a big picture, what do you think would turn that around? I mean, we had some BOJ intervention, but that's only really impacting the yen. Um, what do you think could actually make that trend turn around? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to end in intervention. You know, you mentioned the um, Bank of Japan. I think that's more about slowing the pace, not making dollar yen a one-way bet, maybe squeezing uh, speculative positions. But, it, you know, it, it is an important uh, event, especially when you think that the People's Bank of China are also trying to lean against uh, dollar strength. And as we've mentioned lots of times before, dollar CNH is a key anchor uh, for the dollar, uh, as is uh, euro dollar. So the fact that they're um, pushing back on that, that's um, important. And also um, other central banks in, in Asia have just started to uh, lean against dollar strength. So it's important, but I think you know, we're not going to, this doesn't end in some kind of plaza record, not least because it's not in the US's interest. You know, they need to get inflation down. Currency strength is, is helping uh, in that respect. So what does ultimately turn the, the dollar? Well, it will be relative growth. It will be some signs that the world economy is strengthening at a time when the US is slowing. So within that, we're, we're watching COVID policy in China, Asia uh, demand more broadly. We're watching energy prices in, in Europe. At some point, you get past the point of peak pessimism. And so global growth starts to recover at a time when US growth uh, continues to 
to fall. Um, or you get uh, a sharper correction in the US economy. But at the moment, that really doesn't seem uh, likely. So further dollar resilience, I, I think, is the way forward here. Makes sense. All right. Thank you, Paul. Not an easy time, nor easy questions to answer. So I thank you and John for um, your perspectives on all this. Next week is a bit lighter on big events. We have some U.S. inflation data, U.K. GDP, European sentiment um, and inflation data out of Germany. And uh, with that, I think I'll leave it here. Good luck, everyone. Have a good week. So thank you for joining us for this episode of The Weekly Watch. As always, please remember to hit subscribe so you can watch our latest episodes as soon as they're available. And hit the like button so it's easier for others to find. Thank you.